0: So grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians uh, chapter 2. Our passage this week is verses 16 through 23. And before I read those verses, I want to make sure I highlight and go back to some of the passages that we studied last week. And the reason is this is really a continuation of thought. If you were to to look at the the original scriptures, you would see that this is kind of one long thought process. From verse 6 all the way to 23, uh, Paul is making one point, but he's coming at that one point from all different directions, if you will. I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles with you. Uh, Whatever you study at home with is probably the ideal Bible for you to bring in here. So if you study off of an iPad or an electronic reader, that's great. If you have a Bible that you use at home, I would encourage you to bring that so that you're making notes in the Bible. If you don't write in your Bible, bring something to write on because you want to be able to take notes. Uh, I want to encourage you to check in on Facebook. We love to let the world out there know what we're doing in here. A lot of you will post pictures of food, so you might as well post some pictures pictures of church, why not, right? Let the world know good things are happening. So uh, before I read our our passage 16 16 through 23, let me read verses 6 and 7. So if you're there, you can read along with me. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. One of the things I said last week is this really is the summary verse of all of Colossians. You could really, all of Colossians points back to this particular Verse and so what is what they're encouraging us in this passage to do? What Paul is encouraging us to do is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Now we, uh, John, even talked about it like. Like God is is God and Jesus is Lord of the universe. We've seen that in Colossians, but this is talking about making it a much more personal commitment to Christ, that you're saying, I am going to allow Jesus to have authority in my life. Meaning that when I hear God's nudging to do something, I'm going to be willing to do it. Or if I hear God's nudging to not do something, I'm going to be willing to do it. That's the idea of lordship, right? Someone who has Lord it can lord over something can make decisions for and directions too does that make sense so there's there's something more personal that Paul is calling us to that we are to call to make Jesus lord of our lives and if you look at verse 10 it says when we do that we're filled in him which is awesome great news 12 says we're raised in raised with him through the power and the working of God. So there's there's this power that's infused, for lack of a better word, into us when we are willing to stop and surrender our lives to Jesus and allow Him to be Lord of our lives. And then Paul says these words, and this was a big part of our talk last week: that we are to walk in Him. Remember, we've talked about the word in, that it's this picture of of going deeper. So we're to walk in Him and that it's a journey. It's not something we just do once, but we have to come back to it. We have to stay with the process, we have to stay in it. And then we talked about how that's done and, and what God is up to in it. So, verse seven rooted, built up, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding. And And I talked about how last week, how when you're rooted, your roots go deeper, right? It's the idea of of your roots going deep so that you can bear fruit in any season. And we talked about being built up, how we have revelation from God in our lives. And what we do with that revelation become the building blocks of our faith. So what you do with what God has asked you to do determines even some of what God is gonna do in the future. But that all becomes part of, of building what's above the surface, right? And it says that this is gonna establish your faith. And then it says that you'll be abounding and thanksgiving. And abounding in thanksgiving, we talked a little bit about, and I challenged you to a 40 days of gratitude that you would stop every morning, uh, maybe even before your, your feet hit the floor. So you're still in bed. That's uh, kind of how I've been practicing this a little bit is just right after I wake up, I just start to begin to pray. Uh, if you journal, journal it, but journal three things that you're thankful for from the day before. And the challenge is to be specific in that. Now, you can just say every morning, I'm thankful for Jesus. That's a good thing. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for breath. That's all good. And those would be fine things for you to journal. But what I'd like you to do is just think about what happened in the day before where you saw God's hand in your life or where you just are are grateful. For me, it's been a lot of uh, meals with my family that were just great conversations at the table. Uh, It could be a sunrise. It could be a conversation with a friend. It could be a revelation if you were reading the word of God and something jumped out to you and that was a moment and that's a great thing the next day. So, so really, you're stopping long enough to, to see the specifics of the things you're grateful for and what we, we found is that if you do this, that you will be abounding in thanksgiving and that is one of the ways to protect us from moving away from God because it helps us to realize all that we have in God, okay? So that's kind of the summary of last week. Oh, there's a little bit more. Sorry. We also talked about, Paul talks about the, the influences of the world, right? He talks about the philosophies of the world and how they get us caught up. And, and then he begins to talk about what those are in the ancient world. So in in the people that he's actually writing the letter to originally. Uh, And we just kind of took that and said, well, if that's what was going on then, what's going on now? And we talked about the prosperity gospel how we can get ourselves in trouble when we think that God is there to serve us or to uh, make us rich or to give us what we want. We talked about uh, relational idolatry, the idea of looking to get our identity from people or getting our our, uh, sense of self-worth from people. We talked about self-reliance when we think that we're our own providers. It keeps us from giving at a biblical level and it also keeps us from resting the way God wants us to. Uh, And then we talked about relativism, the idea that There is no absolute truth. And one of the things I said is that Christianity and relativism are not compatible. They cannot both be true. Um, So it was worth wrestling with. Okay, so that's last week and now we get to this week. And here's the difference. Most of what we read last week kind of dealt with the the attack, the pitfalls of the world on us. The things like the thinking of the world, the philosophies of the world, the majority, not all of it, but the majority of 16 through 23 is dealing more with the pitfalls that can happen within the faith community. See the difference? So there's he's talking about, hey, there's stuff out there that could get you tripped up, but just so you know, there's stuff in here. They can get you tripped up as two. So that's kind of the difference, and that's why we needed all that context, because it's just the same thought press of making sure you don't fall, making sure that you're not taken captive. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So Colossians 2:16 through 23 says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you in insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up about reasons by a sensual mind and not holding fast to the head to whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is, why? As if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Lord, I just pray for us right now, I just pray as we unpack these few verses that you would just give us wisdom to hear, that you would open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. Anything I say that's not of you will fall away, but those words that, that are meant to be heard would, would take, uh, those seeds would just take root and they would bear fruit a hundredfold, help us to leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So. We know this is a continuation of thought, because if you look at verse eight, hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Verse eight, we talked a lot last week, is the idea of uh, where he says, let no one take you captive, right? And that was the idea of being taken as plunder by the enemy. Uh, But if you look at verse 16, it says, let no one pass judgment on you. If you look at verse 18, it says, let no one disqualify you. So those three phrases are kind of all saying the same thing, and it's just a way of Paul, the writer, helping us to understand that this is one continuation of thought. He keeps coming back to this, hey, be on guard. Make sure that you don't become the victim of or be taken captive by or disqualified because of. So it's, it's all this long string of warnings, if you will. And I say that in the, in the nicest of ways or just encouragement to be on guard, Right. Verse 18, he talks about the idea of people are praying to uh, and worshiping angels. And I thought to myself, I don't know that there's much application here. I'm not sure that that's something uh, anybody here is struggling with, but he's saying that's not a good thing. So if worshiping angels is part of your way of doing your faith, you might want to stop doing that. But he's talking about that and, he, and he's talking about all kinds of stuff. But, but the main thrust of it is the religious activity and following all of the rules, Right. And the warning is against religion and legalism. And so I wanted to show you the references to that, and then we're going to unpack it. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you uh, with questions of food, drink, with regard to festival, new moon, or a Sabbath. And when he talks about the festival, I'm pretty sure he's talking about the Passover. He's talking about the feast, of tabernacle, the Jewish festivals, which many of the Christians, remember this is also many of the Jewish converts would still practice the Jewish traditions, including Paul. If we read through Paul, he's still practicing his Judaism, but he is a full-fledged follower of Jesus. And he's saying you be careful how you hold these things. So he's talking about the, the monthly celebration. Part of the Jewish tradition was to celebrate the new moon every month. And then he talks about the Sabbath, which really is an entirely Jewish concept. So we know he's, he's referring to some of the, the Jewish holidays and the Christians still practiced Sabbath. And he's just saying, hey, I just want you to be careful about those things. That'll make more sense in just a couple of minutes. So hang with me. In 18, he talks about this thing called asceticism. Asceticism is just practicing uh, strict self-denial as a... Uh, measure of purpose, especially in spiritual disciplines. So this is like a uh, a vow of poverty. Right, And we've seen this, this in, even in our culture. There's, there's groups of people who decide to live an incredibly simplistic lifestyle as a way of getting closer to God. It's a, it's a way of denying self. I think you could kind of say the, the Amish traditions would kind of fit into this, right? But the difference is uh, when, when Paul's talking about it, so there's a, a large group of Jewish people, uh, a sect, if you will, that this was the way they approached their faith, that they would isolate themselves. They would live very simplistic lifestyles. And that was all good and well, except for if you didn't do it that way, they would, in their mind, judge you or disqualify you as not being as spiritual as they are because you're not wearing rags, because you're not living in squalor. So the vow of poverty wasn't that that was necessarily a bad thing. It was the position in which they held it. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on. And then look at verse 20 and 21. He says, why? Do you submit to regulation? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Pretty good odds here. He's just talking about the Levitica, Levitical laws, you know, the whole idea of the food laws and what's clean and what's unclean and how they were just so caught up in all of those rules and regulations and it began to consume their mind. So he's, he's talking about all the religious activities that were around them, Right? And the hard part for this passage, or at least what I f- felt all week as I was trying to figure out how to teach it, is if we're probably not dealing with any of this. Pretty good odds most of you are not trying to live by the Jewish eating standards that are in the the, the book of Leviticus. Pretty good odds of that. I, I, I haven't met any of you. If you are, that's, that's okay. But I, I don't think that's... Most of us aren't practicing the Jewish festivals, right? We're not... You know, heading to Jerusalem a couple times a year for the Passover and Feast of the Tabernacle. So, so it's hard because we could look at it and say, "Well, I'm good, I'm great, I'm not doing these things. I don't have a new moon festival every month." Um, you know, and, and and here's the thing. He's, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but, and I just want to make sure I say, this. he is not saying that the Sabbath is bad. He's not saying that the festivals are bad. He's not saying any of those are bad. So, so we got to understand. Well, if he's not saying that. And what is he saying? Because we also know that other places that, that the scriptures tell us pretty clearly that the Sabbath is pretty important. So we just gotta figure out this, this weird line. But it's easy for us to move through this passage real quickly and say, well, it doesn't uh, apply to me. But the reason it applies to us is because we have our own traditions. We have our own religious activities and those religious activities are, are there for a reason. But if we're not careful, we can put them in the wrong places. Right? And here's the thing. It's it's easier to follow a religion. It's easier to follow a checklist. At least in our mind's eye, it's easier than it is to follow God. You see, if you can say to yourself, well, I went to church, I got baptized, I took communion, I didn't drink this week, I don't smoke, I didn't whatever your list of don't do's, whatever your list of do's, you can write the list, you can check the box, and you can say, Oh, I'm good. I'm all good, I got it all going on, I'm I'm good, right? That can become the way in which we approach God. And it makes sense because in some ways, it's just easier, right? It's easier to see the list, it's easier to see the box and to check the the things. Keep in mind, the things on the list are not bad things. It's where we hold them. So go all the way back to the beginning of Colossians when we talked about when we put the boxes up there, but it's really about Jesus being above everything else and us being careful that we don't elevate anything into competition with who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Okay. And what Paul is describing here is in my opinion, incredibly insidious. It's just, it's so easy for us to slip into it. So the challenge from, from me to you this morning is just be honest with yourselves. We all have this tendency to do it. So just allow the Spirit, allow the, the message today to challenge you a little bit. Any place where you may have elevated some of what we're going to talk about to an inappropriate place. So, passage 17, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 17. I love this. It's kind of to me the summary of this whole section. So he's talking about all these activities, right? And he says, These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. I want you to see this one kind of graphically. So on the screens behind me, uh, they should turn white here pretty quick. And I've invited a shadow to join us. Hello, shadow. Ready? Oh, there we go. Hey, shadow. Pretty cool, huh? Wave to everybody, shadow, the room's full. Make sure you get all the different sections. There you go. Somebody said, I know who that is. You can't know who it is. You're you're ruining the whole thing. So the shadow's here. (laughs) Okay, settle down, shadow. The fascinating thing is none of you are questioning whether someone's up there, right? You can see the shadow, but, but you know, the shadow is just an image of somebody who's actually doing it. We, we know it's not a video because he can respond to us. So, hey, uh, I, I love this because you do it so well. He's going to moonwalk for you. Here you go. Yeah. Very good. And we can even... <laughs> every time I tr- How does he know I'm turning away? When I turn away, I think he's going like this is behind me or something. <laughs> so think about this. We can even learn things about the person who's casting the shadow. So, hey, Shadow, um, show us what it would look like if you were sad. Yeah, sure, you can see sadness in the shadow. What about if you were happy? Yeah, you can see happy, right? But we shouldn't do that on the screen. (laughs) Now we're back to sad. (laughs) Too funny. So, but think about it. Do I really know the shadow, right? It's telling me something about the person who's casting the shadow, but I, I can't really know that, and I can't really interact with the shadow. So shadow, um, could you give me a hug? Yeah, it's, it's pretty not working. How about, can you shake my hand? I'm on the other side of you. Oh, thank you. All right. So we have, we have an opportunity to, to, okay. All right, you're all done. okay. <laughs> He's too funny. All right, thank you. Bye. That's a great shadow. It's such, it's such an important image for us to hold on to, because it's so easy to worship the shadow, because we can see it, because we can hold it. Or in this case, you know, when we talk about some of these things, because it's so visible. But it's just a reflection of, it's just an image that's cast by the substance of something else. I don't, I I didn't know the shadow. I couldn't feel this. The shadow couldn't hold me. The shadow couldn't reassure me. The shadow can't talk. So there's, it's just such a a beautiful picture of us needing to, to hang on to this image and allow it to challenge us. So we have this tendency to become what I call shadow worshipers. John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. Humans have the proclivity to take things, even good things, great things, gifts from God, and turn them into objects of worship. So what I want to do as a way of kind of bringing this all home is I want to talk about the five common shadow or pitfalls of shadow worship. Five common pitfalls, and there's more. And if you just ask the Lord, show me if there's any other shadows that I'm worshiping in my life. And if you listen, I'm sure he's gonna help you to see things that you've elevated in your life. But I'm gonna just talk about five. And the first one is what I would call the sacraments or the ordinances of, of the faith. So we have two that are very clearly outlined in scripture. Jesus tells us that when you become a believer that you're to be baptized. Jesus tells us that when we gather that we are to take communion together. Those are two sacraments, two ordinances. But if we're not careful they can become something that we worship. So when somebody comes to me and says, I want to be baptized because I want to be saved, then they have elevated baptism to a place that it was never intended to be. Or I'm not sure that person is saved because they were never baptized, says that we've elevated baptism, uh, what was meant to be a way for us to participate in the grace of God for us to see God in it. It's a gift from God. To help us to know God more, but it was never meant to be something that we worship. And if you even look at church history, baptism has gotten so wacky in so many different traditions, and it's suddenly something that's been elevated to compete with the power of the cross. The cross is the cross. It's the only thing that can save us. So saying that I need to, I need to accept Jesus and I need to be baptized actually makes the cross less valuable. It makes Jesus' sacrifice less effective because now we need something else to go with it. So baptism, an incredible gift. I love baptism. I believe to the core of who I am that when you are baptized, something supernatural happens, that God is in it. But it's a, it's a shadow that helps you to know the substance of Christ more because you are participating in this symbol of being buried and risen. So let's think about communion. Another church tradition that's gotten pretty out of whack in a lot of churches where where we worship the actual communion when it was never intended for that. It was intended to be a reminder, a shadow Of Christ to take us back to his body broken and his blood shed, this beautiful picture that that helps us to remember, to know more about, just like we could talk to the shadow and the shadow could show us sadness or show us happy. Like there's things we can learn about the shadow. There's much we can learn about Christ through the communion table. I love communion. It's one of my favorite things to Uh, lead in. It's one of my favorite things to participate in. I love the history behind it. I love the symbolism behind it. I love what Christ is. Just like baptism, I believe something supernatural takes place in the communion, but it was never intended to be worshipped, right? It's not going to save you, right? But if it helps teach you something about Christ, then it's, then it's a gift. It's a shadow. So let's be careful not to elevate shadows to a place they're not supposed to be and become shadow worshipers. So I've been talking about this all week. I think this is one of the hardest things I've, I've preached on in a long time because it's just so easy to hear something I'm not saying. Uh, so I began to dialogue this week with just people I trust and, and people I know. And I was going to say, well, John said this, and Gerald said that, and Meg said this, but that seemed kind of silly. So I'm going to invite them to come up and tell you what they said, because it's just easier to hear it firsthand. So Meg, John, and Gerald, let's welcome them to the stage. You can bring her, Gerald. Gerald's bringing some extras. Ah, he can bring her up. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. All right. Sure. So uh, there were five, right? I already talked about sacraments, baptism, communion. There's other church traditions that we can uh, get messed up. The second uh, pitfall of shadow worshiping uh, is the Bible. And uh, again, super delicate subject, right? It's really hard to talk about this without you hearing something we're not saying. Um, But Gerald, I think I'm going to let you kind of open up with this one and just share um, how is it that the Bible, can become a part of our shadow worship?
1: Uh, Yes. Um, So for me, um, I remember being in that high school, college age, and I used to pray this prayer, you know, Lord, allow me to be a master of your word. And in that, I was thinking, you know, man, if I could just master this Bible, that somehow I've mastered it, and I could know the right verse at the right time, and be able to quote verses that I need. People would be impressed. <laughs> yeah, that too. And um, really, you know, and there is an importance on learning how to rightly divide the word. I think that's important. Sure. Uh, but Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, you diligently search the scriptures, but you won't come to me. These scriptures are pointing to me and, you know, I'm the person yeah. behind
0: Yeah. You can them. put that passage up there on the screen if you don't mind. It's uh, John 539. And go. so, that you know, for
1: me, of realizing, wait, you know, yes, the scriptures are important, uh, but this is God's word, and I'm not going to master God. You know, this puts me in touch with God.
0: Yeah. John had some thoughts about this as well. You want to share some of the things we talked about?
1: Yeah,
2: I think uh, this is a struggle of mine, and maybe you can relate to it, but sometimes we get in this place where the Bible just becomes uh, a document, one that we learn, that we devote our scholarship to, and we think a lot about You know, the context and the history and the literature, which again, those are all great things. I I enjoy the historical context of the scriptures and applying them and doing hermeneutics, if that's a familiar term for you. You know, maybe it's not. That totally doesn't make sense. But the idea is that if we if we only view it as, oh, I got to learn all about it instead of realizing that the word is living and active. It is the word of God for us and to us then it's kind of a miss and it becomes kind of like about the book itself and not about who is present and who is living in the
0: very words that are before us. And Meg, you had a thought kind of of your own journey with this and kind of your early struggle. You want to share that?
3: I did. So I grew up in the church, became a believer when I was 30 and to grow my faith, started attending Bible studies and small groups. And of course church, and one of the new th- language terms for me was the word, the word, the word, and uh, people would say to me, the word can change you, the word can heal you, um, the, word, the word can free you.
0: And you think that was different, though, than that, when people were saying that they were talking about this, the Bible? Exactly, okay. exactly,
3: and they were talking about the Bible, and it became confusing for me because I knew the person of God was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it seemed that the word was also being presented as God. And so I was trying to figure that out. Like, is the word deity? Um, you know, is God God or is the word God? Um, and it, it, you know, I was on a journey for a while of figuring that out, that we don't worship the word. We worship the author of the word. Right.
0: That's a big difference. And, and again, this is why this is so, remember, I used the word in cities. It's so easy to slip into because...
1: Look,
0: I love the word, right? I love dividing the scriptures. I love discovering original language things. And
3: God works through his word, right. absolutely. But I
0: can get to where I'm more excited about what I just learned than what God's trying to teach me. And that's a big difference. And so you know, the easiest way I can say it, if it's about knowledge and facts, then you've fallen into the pit of shadow worshiping. When it comes to the Bible, if it's about knowledge and facts, then you fall into the pit of shadow worshiping. All right, let's keep moving for the sake of time. Uh, The next one, again, is a a difficult one. It's the weekend gathering. Uh, Pretty ironic that um, Paula stood on the stage and said, "Uh, we have six essentials to help you grow spiritually. One of them is that you gather, that you come to church. We know that church is a critical part of the Christian faith and the journey that you need it, that you need to be here but we also know it can become part of our shadow worshiping. So, John, you want to start out on, on that one? And just how is it that church, when I say church, just know I'm talking about the gathering. That word's a little bit confusing. But the weekend gathering, how can that become uh, a shadow that we worship?
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's especially a challenge for me because this is a big part of my ministry. It's a big part of what I do is coming to church, being with you, leading you in worship. And I think the thing that the Lord has been revealing to me, and it's it's been a, a long process and um is that you know if if the weekend gathering if Sunday or Saturday whenever you choose to come or maybe it's during the week becomes kind of your spiritual infusion that's where you kind of get you know that's your allotment for the week of the presence of God and you kind of go back to your life then it can it can be problematic and the thing that the Lord was revealing to me even yesterday and as we were talking about this this morning is that uh Jesus is active and alive and moving all the time. Yeah. It's not like I show up at church and he does something and then I go do the rest of my life and hopefully hopefully it's enough to get me to next Saturday or next Sunday. That doesn't work. The idea is that when we make that the crux of our week, the crux of our of our relationship with God, we're missing out on the Monday through Friday, the Monday through Saturday. Because Jesus is with us then, his presence lives in us. And so when it becomes a, about the building or about the time or about the schedule, then I feel like we're missing a big part of what Jesus intends for us.
0: You want, something, want anything to add to that? Uh, G? Uh, I
1: think uh-oh. Oh, there. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <I'm>
0: thinking, <laughs> they shut um, you off already. <laughs> I know, right? I'll keep it short.
1: <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the weekend gathering, when you talk about teaching, Uh, sometimes we think that God only speaks through whoever is teaching. So I need to get a word from God. If God needs to speak to me, he's going to call Doug first. And then Doug will tell me what God said. And, you know, teaching is very important. Or if we like, oh, it wasn't a good message, so God wasn't there today. You know, so he wasn't present because the message didn't speak to me. And it's easy to start thinking that, oh, I'm here only for teaching.
0: Margaret, Meg. Uh,
3: well, I was just saying, I know I've gotten a, um, you know, in an unhealthy place with God, gotten kind of sideways in my relationship with Him. If I'm coming to church to check the box, like right. that's or it's a way for me to alleviate my guilt because I'm not uh, connecting with Him during the week. The week, but oh, you know, I come on Sunday to get my tank filled.
0: Yeah. So. Here's, here's what you could hear if you're not careful and I just want to make sure I put it out there. Um, we, want you to, we want you to receive when you come to church. We want you to receive a lot, right? Um, a long time ago, God gave me this, this image of my own spiritual journey that I would come to church and I was like an inner tube and I was being filled, filled, filled and, and sometimes I'd leave church and my inner tube was ready to burst. It was so full. It was stretched to capacity and that's a good thing. But, then it would just leak and it would leak. And sometimes it wouldn't last until the next Sunday. And that's kind of what John is talking about. Like, we want you to leave here experiencing the presence of God and and your hearts being full. And then we want you to renew that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And don't think that coming to church is the only way. That's John, he wants to meet you on the freeway Right. And if you think I can't do this unless I get to church, I got to get that. And, and so it's just see how insidious is, how hard it is, because I want you here every Sunday every Saturday. I want you here. There's something God wants to do through this place. I believe that a person is wrong when they say, well, I am a follower of Jesus. I just don't believe in church. I just think they're missing a major part of their faith. So we're not saying it's a gift from God, but this is a shadow to help you to know God more. So if you come to check a box, if you come to ease your guilt, then you may have fallen into the pit of shadow worship, okay? The next one, which is also complicated, is music, okay? And I think I'm gonna let John kind of lead into this one because it's kind of his uh, area of expertise, but uh, let's talk (laughs) about music for a minute.
2: Well, yeah, I think what Doug has been saying, music is a gift from the Lord. If you've ever had an experience with a particular song or a particular phrase or a melody or something, you kind of know that it does things in us that the spoken word sometimes cannot do. But what I've seen and what I've experienced and what I've heard and what I've watched and what I've read about is that sometimes music becomes the shadow when we start to chase a certain feeling. When we show up to church and we leave, we say, you know, they didn't really play my favorite songs, so I wasn't really feeling it. It wasn't like a, you guys are like, oh, wow, that's me. That's been me before. It really has. But uh, so we can all relate to that. But if you if you kind of are chasing, if you expect to feel a certain way, if you know you don't feel what you expect to feel, then there's probably a good chance that the music has become one of the things you're looking to more than. The words and the themes and the the person of Jesus experienced in the music. And so um, I think it can be really difficult to kind of, you can't really separate them, but uh, it's something that... But you can pay attention. Yeah, but it's, yeah, that's what it is. It's something to pay attention to. If you leave out of church and you're like, man, I just wasn't feeling worship, that's a good indicator that something might be a little funky Funky. in our hearts. So pay attention to that. Yeah, a little bit of funk in your heart, you know? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like... Uh, yeah.
1: G or
0: Meg, anything you want to add to the music side
1: of it? Um, I remember um, as a kid being a part of a summer program. And it was... The particular day occurred on my birthday, and they were going to celebrate my birthday, have gifts and everything. And I couldn't make it. And so I came back the following week, and they were like, yeah, we celebrated your birthday. We chose a birthday boy to take your place. We gave him all your <laughs> gifts. And I was just traumatized, like... It's not his birthday, it's my birthday. <laughs> but I think, you know, in terms of worship, like we, who is it for, you know? Is it for us or is it for God? And you know, when we sing, I mean, of course, I got my songs, you know, you got your songs and songs that like, man, this, this is a good song. It really gets to the heart. But in the end, it's for him,
0: you know? Yeah. Awesome.
3: You have anything? Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that a little bit. You know, you talked about that feeling when we come over worshiping. Here's what I know for myself personally. When I am truly worshiping God through music, I have an inner tension in me. That inner tension is when I'm singing, you know, I'm giving you everything. You can have all of me. Um, I want more of you. When I'm really worshiping God, I'm feeling that tension, that I might not be exactly where I need to be, even though I'm singing those words. That's how I know when it's not about me. Right. Yeah.
0: The, so the thing about worship that's so in music, worship, and I, I try to stay away from words that would be confusing. So we really are just talking about the music side of worship. Everything you do to, to God should be worship. Um, but the thing that's so is is like we can be fooled into thinking we're worshiping. Um, I took this picture and I didn't know when I would ever show it, but uh, this is the YouTube concert. Uh, yes, I was there. Um, I was me and every other guy my age. Um, <laughs> girls. Yeah, girls my age too. But uh, So this is just from my seat. And I, I, I don't know how to feel about this, but if we didn't know, I could tell you that that was a Hillsong concert and you guys would all think, oh, look at all those people worshiping. Look at all those adults with their arms up like this. Think about how hard it is for you to... Do this in church, some of you. You go to the YouTube concert, you can throw your arms up. So that's part of it. But the thing that I just realized as we were there at the concert is just, like, we can, we can be pulled into a feeling and a moment, Right? more than know who it is and what we're worshiping. And I just want to challenge you every time to let it be a shadow to reveal who Jesus is so that you know the substance of the shadow more and more. Every song should be a challenge to your... I mean, we sing songs that are asking for a lot. We sing songs that declare things about God that are huge and you need to ask yourself while you're singing, do I believe these words or Lord help me to believe these words more and more. So engage with the music more. And and John kind of hinted at it, but I just want to say it, like if you come and you're just already disappointed because the wrong person's leading worship and you just don't quite get what you normally get, but I get a lot more out of Mel than I do out of... John, or whatever you say in your spirit, then then you've missed what's going on. And you may have slipped into the pit of shadow worship when it comes to the music. The last one, and this is another one of those that's that's so confusing in some ways, but the last one is what I would call holiness. And we're called to live lives that are holy. We're called to to live by some rules of engagement. Uh, But this is when the rules become, the marker of spirituality, what we sometimes in the church call legalism, you know, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew. Brian would always say, don't date girls that do. Uh, <laughs> just every time I read that, I think. Anyway, you know, some people are like, if you, if you listen to secular music, you're going to hell, like, right? So there's, there's this list of rules. If you break the rules, you're damned. If you keep the rules, you're okay. Um, and so that's a big one. I don't know uh, which one of you want to jump on that one for a second, but... Love for us to unpack it just a I
2: think bit. that uh, Gerald actually brought up something a little like this when we were talking this week, but I was thinking about it as I was sitting over here and kind of just thinking about what God wanted to say and what he wanted to do, and I, I think about it this way. If I came up with a perfect list of these are all the 10 things, if I do all these things, I'll be a perfect husband. A perfect husband to my wife, it's a very good list, you know, I show up on time, I don't come home late, I get her flowers once a month, I ba- make her dinner every other night, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody, all the wives are like, actually, actually, this sounds pretty good. Um, you know, you guys can imagine what that list would look like. If I make that list and I do that list and I check the box, then I'm good, right? I'm a good husband. But what if my wife is like, you did all the list, but we haven't connected. We haven't related. You haven't gotten to know me. It's the difference between making that list and allowing my wife and who she is to inform the way that I act, the way that I respond to her. I learn who she is. And then the list kind of creates itself. I don't have to make a list and check all these boxes. It becomes, I love my wife. I want to spend time with her. I want to get to know her. And then I become a better husband, um, kind of naturally born out of my love for her, my care for her, my knowledge of who she is. So That's great. It's
0: awesome. Anybody else?
3: It just reminds you just John, what you were saying, just that God initiates and we respond. It's that dance.
0: Great. <laughs> John was too good. All right. Let's uh, thank our friends for coming up here. Go ahead head off. Yeah, I'm not sure I could say it any better than what John just articulated. That was, that was perfect. But, you know, the list isn't going to save you. Right, but it doesn't. The list isn't a bad thing. Like we should have lists of things we don't do. We should have lists of things we do do. Right? It's the list isn't the problem. It's trying to live by the list, and and even if you go back and you look at the Colossians passage, it's really saying that everything is to be born out of who Christ is in you, that knowledge of Christ and as you grow in Christ. So the right behaviors born out of a relationship with Christ is what's going to make the difference, not you being able to follow. You can, you can follow a list, actually you can't follow a list of all your rules and that's what the law was there to teach us. And so the word of God says that the letter kills, but the spirit of God brings life. So that's kind of what that passage is all about. Just some closing thoughts. And I just, I just wanted this to be crystal clear. Uh, shadow worshiping is human nature. It's just human nature, and uh, God's not surprised by our proclivity towards it, Um, but God's grace is sufficient to overcome it. And God's love is enough to bring us through it, and God knows our shortcomings, but this message today is just an invitation to know the substance more than the shadow. Right, The invitation today is God saying, look, just put me in the right place and you will come to know me more and more and more. This is the message of Colossians. The entire letter is just saying, if we hold Jesus in the right place, that he will infuse us with life. He will allow us to navigate the good and the bad with grace and power in our lives. And he says, pay attention Make sure nothing's competing with me. Make sure nothing's competing with Jesus in your life. I want to close with Colossians 3, 16 and 17 because in a lot of ways it summarizes everything we just talked about. So so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think it's more than just the scriptures, but it would partly be the scriptures, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, music, right? Right? spiritual songs and thanks thankfulness in your hearts but 17 is the key whatever you do in word or deed and everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him let me pray for us lord may this be true of our lives may we not be shadow worshipers may we worship the substance of our faith and not the illusions of such may we not uh, grab hold of the shadows and put them in inappropriate places help us to know you more, help us to walk with you more, help our roots to go deep, help us to be built up in our faith, help us to be established and strong, and help us to be abounding in thanksgiving. Thank you for the incredible invitation you give us to know you more through these shadows, through communion and baptism in your word, your amazing scriptures, through the music that you've blessed us with. Help us to know you more and more through these shadows. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, one of the things we do every uh, Sunday morning and Saturdays is uh, we meet a half hour before the service. We'd love for you to join us for a pre-service prayer in the chapel. Um, but one of the things we ask is, Lord, what is it that you wanna do in our people? And there was a word today uh, that there are people in the room that are struggling with some broken relationships. And uh, if you know right now that that's you, uh, there is a group of prayer warriors down here that just wanna pray with you and put their arm on your shoulder and assure you and pray uh, Jesus over that broken relationship. So uh, if it's something else, we'd love to pray with that. We, we pray for physical healing, emotional healing, uh, whatever you need, but we just encourage you to come down. If the prayer team wants to just head down right now as I close, uh, that would be great. Lord, thank you for uh, this group. Pray that you would take us out of this place with our inner tubes full. And that we continue to keep it full throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. You're welcome. The cross has-